Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. God calls us to forgive one another. How many times? Seventy times seven, Christ suggests in Matthew 8, 22. That's a lot of forgiveness. So why is it sometimes so hard for us to forgive even once? Perhaps it's because we don't understand the true nature of that God-ordained action. Dr. Jennings joins us today via Skype. Dr. Jennings, you're calling today's program Forgiveness Myths. What don't we understand? Yeah, I think the first thing we want to talk about is why is it important to forgive? I don't think people always understand the reason that it's important. Uh When we are wronged by someone, what happens is a little seed of temptation gets planted in our heart, a seed of anger, hurt, resentment, bitterness that gets planted in our heart. And we're tempted to be angry, hateful, resentful, retaliate towards the person who's done us wrong. Forgiveness is the tool that God has given us to root that temptation out of our own heart. If we don't root that temptation out of our heart, if we fertilize it, we fantasize about it, we give it time and energy, and we think about how we're going to make them pay and we're going to get back at them, we actually become more hard-hearted and become more unloving and more like the person who wronged us. Hmm. And so the reason we forgive is not for the one who wronged us. It's so that we can not walk around in perpetual injury and woundedness, and that we can continue to grow in our own personal godliness. From a psychological point of view, what is it that is holding us back? What is it about being human that makes forgiving someone or even forgiving yourself so difficult? Well, there are many things that people think about forgiveness that are wrong, and those beliefs about what it means are why they won't want to do it. For instance, many people think that if I forgive somebody, that means I have to trust them. Mm -hmm. Myth, forgiveness equals restored trust. Mm -hmm. Well, clearly that isn't true. Forgiveness means that we no longer carry the bitterness or hatred or resentment or desire for retaliation against someone. We have nothing against them, but doesn't mean we trust them. Trust is established on the trustworthiness of the person. So we can forgive somebody who has not repented, not matured, not transformed, and remains completely untrustworthy. This is a strange truth you're telling us here, that forgiveness is not about the person who did us wrong, it's about our own response to the person who did us wrong. Am I right? That is exactly correct. And many people misunderstand it for a lot of reasons. And some of these reasons come out of, frankly, the things we taught in our churches. You just opened the door there. I need you to unpack that a little bit. We're taught in our churches. Isn't church all about teaching us how to forgive people? And so that's one of the other myths that comes along where people think that forgiveness equals salvation. Mm. And so if God forgives us, then, then when we're forgiven by God, we're saved. And therefore, if our spouse has cheated on you and, they've, and, and you forgive them, then you should take them back because you've forgiven them. No, you shouldn't take the spouse back unless the spouse has a change of heart and they become trustworthy. Jesus on the cross forgave the people who crucified him, but they didn't receive that forgiveness into their hearts and therefore respond to it with repentance so that they became trustworthy friends. They remained his enemies, and even though he in his heart forgave them, they weren't changed, and therefore he could not trust them. Sometimes we use people's response to our forgiveness 
whether or not it took, whether it, it stuck. We judge our ability to forgive by other people's ability to accept our forgiveness, and you're saying that's going down the wrong track. That's right. Connecting to another myth, forgiveness comes after the offender says they're sorry. Mm. And so many people have the idea, well, I'll forgive when they admit what they did was wrong or when they admit that they were sorry or when they ask for forgiveness. I'm willing to forgive, but I'm waiting for them. In other words, when you do that, you surrender the control of your own internal well-being to the offender who injured you. And obviously the offender, at least at the time when they injured you, did not have your well-being and heart, and they may never have your well-being and heart. So again, understanding how reality works, that your forgiveness is a tool that God has given us to prevent us from becoming like the wrongdoer. We forgive whether the other person asks or acknowledges they've ever done wrong or not. Now, of course, you're coming at this from a Christian standpoint. What does God have to do with this? How does God alter our thinking process when we are facing a situation where a person has wronged us and we should forgive? What tools does God give us to make that happen? Well, that's what we're going through right now. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth Mm -hmm. and the spirit of love. Mm -hmm. And what keeps people from forgiving is believing some myth, which is another word for a falsehood or a lie. And so God brings truth to bear in our minds so that we can understand what it means to forgive. And he gives us a desire to be loving toward another person. And when we love another person, it doesn't mean we exonerate their wrong. We have a desire to see them healed or delivered from the corruption in our heart that leads them to do wrong, but we in our own heart don't want to become like them, and so we participate in God's principles by choosing to say, Lord, you know, I'm very hurt and angry right now, but I don't want that hurt and anger to take root in my heart and cause me to become an angry and hard-hearted person. I was wronged, but I don't want to live in the pain of that wrong, so I'm going to choose to forgive. Now, Lord, help me experience that in my inner being. It almost sounds, Dr. Jennings, like you're saying that forgiveness is an act of love. Am I right? Forgiveness is an act of love. There's no question about it. Wow, wow. So if we are Christians and we are wanting to follow God's ordinance of of love, to love one another— Forgiveness is part of that package. Am I hearing you right? Yes, it it absolutely is. But there are, again, many myths to what it means. And many people think, um, and I've seen in my office, people come in where there's been some wrong in a marriage. And one of them is angry, and, and you can just see the bitterness and the, and the hostility in their face and the tone of their voice. And, and I will say, have you forgiven your partner, your spouse? And they will go, yes, I forgave them. But you're still angry. You're still holding a grudge. Yes, but I forgave Okay. And so so they clearly haven't forgiven. They still bring it up and they recount it over and over again. One of the other myths, let's talk about another one. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness leads to greater vulnerability. Hmm. And this is a reason why many people won't forgive is because they're afraid that if they forgive, they'll be vulnerable to it happening again. And so the lack of forgiveness, the staying angry, the staying on edge, that keeps them hypervigilant and keeps them with a feeling of being very empowered. So if somebody wrongs me, I'm ready to attack and defend myself. I'm never going to get hurt like this again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the metaphor I use would be this. Imagine that you laid out on the Miami beach in July for six hours with no sunscreen <laughs> and, and you've got a really bad sunburn yeah. 
and uh, you've come home and, and you've uh, put aloe on it, but you can't even lean back in the chair, and your three-year-old child jumps on your back to play. Ooh. And what's the reaction to that? You scream and you yank them off. How about your spouse comes in and gives you a big bear hug? You scream and you push them away. Yes. How about if somebody slaps you on the back? Oh. And the point of this metaphor is when you're burned – you lose the ability to tell the difference between touches of play, mm. touches of love, and touches of aggression. Everything hurts and you push everyone away. Wow. And that's what happens emotionally when we've been wronged. We get these emotional burns in our heart. We're very super sensitive. We don't want to get hurt again. And so instead of healing the sunburns of our heart, people create these bubbles they put around them. And the strategy is, I'm going to make sure no one ever touches me again. And that's what happens when we refuse to forgive and stay angry and on edge, that we, we react in hostility or aggression to touches of play or touches of love because it hurt us, but the person was just playing or, or showing us affection, but we can't tell the difference. And so we become an angry person and our relationship sour because of it. Boy, lack of forgiveness just changes our personality. It changes our response to the world. That's pretty amazing, doctor. Yes. And so another myth that people have that keeps them from forgiving is forgiving means forgetting. Hmm. And many people are taught that, and they're quoted Bible verses that, you know, I will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west and as deep as the sea and remember them no more. And they say, see, and what they, what they think it means is amnesia or erasure of history. And it doesn't mean that at all. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting or having amnesia. But let me tell you what it actually means. Let me give you this yeah. example. Yeah. You have a, a first grader who's your child and, they, and your first grader stole a little cookie and then lied about it. And you have, in love, already forgiven your first grader. You're not against them. You only want them to become mature pe person. So you discipline in love, and your child under discipline comes to repentance. And when they repent, I'm sorry, Daddy, sorry, Mommy, uh, um, and I'll never do it again. And there's hugs and kisses all around when there's the forgiveness on your part and the repentance on their part. There's something called reconciliation. Mm -hmm. The relationship is reconciled. Now, when your child comes home the next day from school and they come running up the sidewalk uh, with a big smile on their face, running up, Daddy or Mommy, to give a big hug, do you think, oh, here comes that little liar of mine? Mm -hmm. No, that's not your thought. Yeah. It, it, when, when there's reconciliation, the hearts have been changed on both sides. As far as the relationship's concerned, it's not between you, so it doesn't have to be thought about. That doesn't mean you have amnesia for the facts of history that went before that day. And so we can only forget as far as the relationship goes when the person who wronged us has actually no longer has that problem in their heart and they are now trustworthy. So it's not an issue to be addressed. But if the person, even though they said they're sorry, remains a thief, remains a liar, remains a drug user, remains somebody who's going to steal your money to go buy drugs, even though they're sorry they hurt you and they're sorry that you found out and they've cried over it, but they haven't had a change of heart where they're trustworthy, then you have to remember it as far as the relationship is concerned too. You may forgive them. I'm not mad at them. I feel sorry. They've got a, a substance use disease, but I can't forget it. I need to be vigilant about this. Can't leave my checkbook laying around. Can't leave my wallet laying around because this person will steal from me. Make a parallel there with how Christ deals with us. He, he forgives us, but he doesn't seem to forget what's going on in our relationship. Is that true? 
So when you understand design law, God as creator, the builder of reality, you see it very much like a doctor and a patient. God is looking in or Jesus is looking in. And as long as we still have the pathology of selfishness or deceit or, or lust or, or addiction in our hearts, he doesn't forget it. He is actively focused on it because he's working to want to eliminate that from us. He would be a negligent doctor if we went to our doctor and we had a cancer cells and the doctor said, oh, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> okay. But okay. Uh, and so as long as it's still operational and active in our character, God keeps it in the forefront because he wants our cooperation with him so he can burn it out of us, eliminate those defects from us. But just like with the doctor, once the cancer is gone and there's no more cancer, Answer, the doctor celebrates your health, and he doesn't want to bring up and put before you all the pictures of, of pathology mm. that you had in the past. That is a beautiful image of God, that no matter how much we have messed up our lives, that God wants to, as long as we have that history, God wants to use that history to heal us, but once it's healed, then it goes into the depths of the sea. Am I right in saying that? So I want to rephrase your language. Yes. What, it's not what we have that history. No. The history never changes. The person with cancer and the cancer goes to remission right. still has a history of cancer. Yes. It's not that as long as we have the history, it's as long as we have the active disease operating in our character that he stays focused on it because he wants to eliminate it. Once it's eliminated and we've been restored to holiness, righteousness, Christ-likeness, whatever language you like there, then the pathology of the sickness and sins that we used to practice when we lived that way no longer have to be focused upon because it's not in our hearts anymore. Instead, we live righteously and focus on our celebration and joys and the right life we have in Christ. Mm. Dr. Tim Jennings, our guest today. The website, comeandreason.com. Check it out, listener. Lots of good stuff there. Videos and radio programs and podcasts and books you can look through and find out all of these wonderful truths that Dr. Jennings shares with us week after week on this program. That's all comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your thoughts of wisdom and guidance. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music> 